Welcome, everyone. It's good to see you all and be here together. We're now in the season of Lent when we focus on Jesus's death and how we live out his death ourselves. It's a time of repentance, a time of putting away the things of an old, outdated life without Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, is here with us. He invites us to be close to him together. He is filling us as we sing and pray and listen. Please stand as we sing our welcome to him.
Amen. We are in the season of Lent, part of a year of seasons that tell the story of Christ. During Lent, we especially tell the story of Jesus' death, what it was, why it was, and what it looks like for us to die to, with him. You can stay standing as I read this poem. It's from Langston Hughes, a poet from Harlem. We can read it as a remembrance of Jesus' death, the suffering of his mother, and Jesus' solidarity with us. The Ballad of Mary's Son. It was in the spring. The Passover had come. There was feasting in the streets and joy. But an awful thing happened in the spring. Men who knew not what they did killed Mary's boy. He was Mary's son, and the Son of God was he, sent to bring the whole world joy. There were some who could not hear, and some were filled with fear. So they built a cross for Mary's boy. As we remember how Jesus gave himself for our peace, let's affirm that peace with each other. Please turn to someone around you and say, peace of Christ to you. If you don't know that person, please introduce yourself, and I encourage you to talk more with that person after the service. Peace of Christ to you. All right, good, good morning, welcome. Uh, my name is Jonathan, one of the pastors here. We're so glad you're here with us, especially this is one of your first times. Welcome. Uh, we'd love to get to know you better. Please uh, stick around after the service and uh, get to know some others, uh, some of those who greeted you this morning or just anyone around you. We'd love uh, to get to know you better. We do just want to share a couple of things that are happening in the life of our church. Uh, so first of all, I uh, just want to mention, uh, in case you weren't aware, Easter is coming up early this year. It's actually March 31st. And uh, we just want to encourage you, we're going to talk a little bit about more of this later, but uh, we're actually going to have uh, lunch after the service, and we really want to encourage everyone to be inviting friends, especially maybe those who don't go to church. Uh, Easter is often one of those times when people might say, like, sure, I'll go to church on Easter. Uh, and so we just want to really be like thinking about this, praying about this, asking you to think and pray about who God might be inviting you to ask, and then we'll enjoy a meal right after uh, the service in the cafeteria over there. So that's going to be March 31st, which is Easter, um, and it's not far away from March. So uh, be thinking and praying about that. Every Tuesday, we have prayer together on Zoom at 8 p.m. Uh, it's a great time to uh, seek the Lord's face, to intercede for each other, to intercede for our, our church community, but also intercede for our community at large here or just even all over the world. And so if you're able to make it, uh, we'd love for you to join us uh, uh, for that. You can find it on our, online on our website and our GCCC online. There's a tab there that's prayer. Uh, that's where you can find that. Uh, February 25th, which is next Sunday, uh, we actually are having our kind of like send off for our uh, mission strip team that's going to uh, Tea House or a country we call Tea House. So part of that 
is that we're actually going to be supporting them by having a little bake sale after the service where you can get some goodies and just donate whatever you want to to help that offset the cost for the team that's going. Uh, but part of why we do this too is just to kind of come around each other and, and remind you to be praying for the team, uh, be praying for the trip that's going on. And so that will be right after the service. Some of you who've signed up to bake goods, please remember to bring those baked goods because um, the rest of us want to eat those baked goods. Uh, but anyway, that will be uh, after the service. Uh, and a reminder, uh, March 2nd through 9th is actually when our team will be uh, in Tea House. Uh, and if you want to know more about that, what actually is Tea House, you can always come talk to me or anybody else that's going to be on the team. We can tell you more about that there. Um, but uh, that's happening next Sunday. Uh, also, we have, uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we, we showed a video of uh, what's going on in Cambodia. We built a clinic there. Uh, God's doing some amazing things with that, opening doors. And the Cambodia team that we partner with there has actually asked us to come do a retreat. We're kind of the backups. They had somebody scheduled and they last minute kind of canceled on them. So what we need is uh, somebody to do uh, worship, somebody to do kids, somebody to uh, uh, youth. And like I said uh, a week or so ago, if you want to do kids or youth and you need some help with that, we will help you with that. Uh, so it's not like you have to be perfect at it. Uh, but we do need that. This will be like about July 22nd through 30th, depending on some travel dates there. But that's about when that is. We are excited to do this. It's a great opportunity to bless our partners and also for us who go to be encountering them, learning more about what's going on there and see like the clinic and some of those kinds of things. So if you're at all interested in that, please talk to me. Uh, I would love to put together that team and solidify that uh, pretty soon. All right, now we're going to have a announcement from... Sandra. Um, good morning. I'm Sandra N, and I've had the privilege to volunteer at God's Garden, which is our children's ministry at GCCC. Did I say three C's? Okay. <laughs> we wanted to share a big need that we have right now. Um, so we're in a season where we need five. Um, I'll repeat that. Five. <laughs> five more God's Garden teachers this spring. Um, many of you know that our children's ministry is always growing as our church has taken to heart to um, the command to be fruitful and multiply. And one of those reasons is why I have to take a break from God's garden. So I also feel very um, obligated <laughs> to make this announcement. And um, I was asked to share one of the reasons why I decided to serve in God's garden. And one reason is because I um, just simply wanted to be a part of God's uh, kingdom work and planting seeds. Um, of truth in the children's lives. And one thing I really enjoyed about serving in God's garden is just really being present and talking with the kids, um, hearing updates uh, about their lives, which is always really fun. They have such interesting things to say um, and finding opportunities to share about Christ in those conversations with the children. Um, we just want to invite you to pray about serving this spring. Um, um, as we as we are in need of more teachers. And if you're interested in serving in God's garden, please reach out to Erica. Um, Pastor Erica is usually in um, the children's ministry in God's garden. That's located in our cafeteria. Or you can also email her at erica.thornton at greatcommissioncc.org. So um, we just wanted to encourage you to pray about it and reach out to Pastor Erica if you're interested. Thank you. Thank you. I do just want to mention... If you're somebody and you're like, I never want to do anything with kids, you can still pray for those other people who might want to do something to kids because we really do have a need between people having kids and people who've had to move away for jobs or other things. It's just one of those seasons where all of a sudden it's like, wow, 
we have a shortage. So uh, it's not a guilt trip thing. We're actually literally asking you to pray and consider uh, how God might be doing that. But as a body, we can also come around and do that. And, th- and those of you who have kids, give a lot of grace to your te- kids' teachers uh, and love on them as well as we're in a season where people might have to serve more than they would like uh, to help make up some of these deficits. So um, at this point, we're going to pray over our offering. We don't uh, collect a physical offering at the moment, but we do continue to do that as an act of worship online. Uh, but we do like to spend a moment praying about that and for that. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we praise you and thank you for who you are. We thank you for all the things that you do, all the ways that you have and continue to provide for us, for our families, for our, our, our community. Uh, we do just lift up any needs that are in the room, and we ask that you would provide what is needed, whether that's physical, financial, emotional. We just do trust you as our provider. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to give back to you and for your kingdom, and we ask that you would use that to, to expand your kingdom in, in multiple ways, beyond what seems possible. As we continue with our service, Jesus, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. Would you open our hearts to you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you prompt us? And would you help us to say yes to whatever you are asking us to do? Uh, Would we be more concerned with your prompting and your word and your direction for us than we are anything else? And so, Holy Spirit, we ask, would you have your way in us this morning? We ask that you would anoint Pastor Steve as he preaches, and we just give you the rest of his service. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, it's good being here with you. Um, I re- I, it's Andrew and Jonathan did a great job making this announcement uh, about our needs for volunteers uh, with God's Garden. Um, you know, this past week I was talking with a pastor friend, and uh, you know, I, I asked him. He, I mean, he serves at a church that's pretty established um, around here, and so you know, I was just sharing with him. Gosh, uh, church, our church has been around about 20 years. And, you know, without a building, but that's intentionally, uh, we're, we're trying to be at a places where we feel like God's leading us to. But I was, you know, just telling him, oh, you know, sometimes I wish uh, we are more, like, stable, established, because we have people coming and going all the time. And without a building, you know, people could drive by Marshall High School and never, never think that there's a church that, that meets here. And so, you know, I was just kind of sharing with him, and he, he shared something uh, with me that kind of stuck uh, my mind. And I've been thinking about this, and he said that his church, he felt like his church became more mature and stable when he felt like the adults were um, able to or willing to kind of pour back into the next generation, What's that, whether that's... Uh, kids, youth, or college students that are coming back. And so, you know, I've been thinking about that, that um, as we pour into our next generation, that our church becomes more mature and stable. And so, um, yeah, let's, let's volunteer and just help one another, a body of Christ. And so, yeah, if you sense God's calling, whispering, nudging, um, yeah, please go ahead and uh, get in touch with Erica. All right. Uh, we are in the season of Lent, as we mentioned, and, and as I thought about Lent season, I, I thought about um, how it's a season where we um, identify with Jesus' death, uh, and it's about subtracting things in our life. Typically, I think we, our normal rhythm of, of life is 
we, we are good at adding things on, right? Adding more things to do or having more things. And that's just rhythm of, I think, just our mindset, our outlook, that as we live, we want to have this and we want to try this. And, and that's nothing wrong with that. But there is a sense where Jesus calls us to lay down our life. And practically, I think that what that means is we are not about addition, we're not adding things, but we're subtracting things. It's what, what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, 12, verse 20, right? He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is this sense of identifying with Jesus' death. And I think that's a crucial part of living the Christian life, that we not only get to enjoy living with Christ, but we experience death with Christ, that there is a sense of laying down our life. And so Lent season is a great season to, to do that collectively together. Uh, my wife uh, recently called, uh, my daughter was in college, and they were talking, and I was really proud of her because she said, hey, it's Lent season, and I think I'm going to give up chocolate. I was like, Wow, you're a pastor's daughter. Great, that's, that's all. We trained you well. Um, I'm kind of half joking there, but it's, I'm just practical. That's the mindset, right? It's like we're laying down things so that we can identify with Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death. And as we enter the season of Lent, that's our mindset, perspective. And I hope we could do that together, um, obviously on Sundays. But if you're in a small group, maybe your small group can talk about and think about how can we identify with Jesus' death during this season? How can we lay something down during this season? Um, during this season of Lent, we're going to go through Ten Commandments. And so uh, just a you know, few, few thoughts about that. Um, uh, Ten Commandments, I don't know how many of you are excited, like, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to go through Ten Commandments. This is awesome. I'm going to be here every Sunday to talk about do not steal or do not murder. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if anyone's really excited, but if you look at uh, the historical church, Ten Commandments, along with the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, were taught uh, to the new, new believers for discipleship. And it was, it was an important part of what Christians went through. And so we're going to do that this, um, this season. And I just want to share with you as we get started, um, like, why, why we're going to do this, right? So, so here's my outline. Uh, why we are looking at Ten Commandments, and then what does, we'll look at first two, what does the first two commandments mean, and then how do we apply them? So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Ten Commandments appear in two places in the Bible, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. There are small variations between those two places because they are in a different setting. Exodus is what God gives to the people as they came out of Egypt initially, initial Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy is uh, the next generation going into the promised land, and God reminds them of these commandments. And so there are some differences because of different contexts. So Exodus chapter 20 will be from verse 1 through verse 6 today. Uh, and God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above 
or that is in earth below, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right, we'll, we'll stop there. So why, should we, why are we looking at the Ten Commandments? Um, just really quick, no, another note is we are calling it actually, I don't know if you can see it, uh, calling it actually ten words because in Hebrew, the original text in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament writers talk about the Ten Commandments, they refer to it as ten words. And that's why literal translation in Greek is Decalogue. It's ten words. And the reason why they call it ten words is because when you carefully study it, I mean, surely it, it, surely it, it is, they are commandments, but they're more than that. They're, they have promises and explanations. And so we'll, we'll call it ten words, ten commandments. We'll kind of go back and forth. So why are we studying the ten commandments? Let me give you three reasons why. One, the ten commandments, ten words, they show us the character of God. Um, in Psalm 1, 1, this is how the psalmist starts out the whole book of Psalm. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, this, 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 this occurs pretty often where the psalmist talk about how he delights in God's law. Now, you would think that, that he, he might say something, I delight in your love, or I, I delight in your promises. I mean, there are places like that, but often the psalmist says, I delight in your law. Why does he say that? Why does he do that? Well, it's because the law of God, the Ten Commandments and other laws in the Old Testament, they show us who God is. So when he says, I delight in your law, he's saying, I delight in the character of who you are that's revealed in your law. And so, for instance, when we look at the Ten Commandments, God says, do not commit adultery. Why does God say that? Well, it's because God is a faithful God, and He wants His people to live faithfully in the context of marriage, right? Another commandment, uh, do not lie. Well, why does God say that? Well, it's because God is trustworthy, and He wants His people to reflect His character as we interact with one another. The Ten Commandments, Ten Words reflect the character of God. And I hope we get to see that as we go through this um, uh, Ten Commandments during this season. Now think about how much better our society would be if everyone just kept these Ten Commandments. Um, our society would go through a significant transformation, right? We would not need, uh, need rules or laws, several laws, things like copy laws or patent laws. Uh, we would need contracts, courts, or prisons. Uh, some of our lawyers will lose your jobs. Um, but that's what it is. We would need to spend money on weapons and defense systems. I mean, there they won't be any need for those things. Uh, the society would flourish, again, because the law of God reflects who God is. Number two, when we study the Ten Commandments, they lead us to Christ. Uh, there's a passage in the New Testament where a young, young ruler comes to Jesus, and, and he says, Jesus, how can I enter, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey the, obey the commandments. And he actually lists five commandments, right? And the young ruler says, Jesus, I've kept all of these things since I was youth. 
And then the passage says Jesus loved him uh, and told him, go and sell all of your possessions and follow me. And why does Jesus do that? Um, Jesus, by giving him this command, he's trying to show this young ruler that he was lacking. And that's what the Ten Commandments are supposed to do. As we think about these Ten Commandments, Ten Words, it ought to remind us that we fall short, all of us. No matter how holy and devoted you might be, when we stand before the law of God, it's like a mirror to our souls. It will help us to know that I am lacking, and today we'll we'll talk about that. I am fallen, I'm lacking, and I need a Savior who will save me from my shortcomings, save me from my sins. That's what the Ten Commandments are, are supposed to do. It helps us to see our soul and how much we need a Savior. And number three, uh, the, the ten words, they guide us to live as free people of God. Now, this is really important. Look with me. If you have your Bibles with you, devices at verse 1 and 2. Okay? It says, And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is how God starts the Ten Commandments. What does he say? He says, I am the Lord your God. That's a covenantal language, and and I'll talk about that more later. But he says, I am the Lord your God, and I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So what is, what is God saying? God is saying, this is who I am. I, I have brought you out of Egypt. Now go and live like my people. Right? God doesn't say, here are the Ten Commandments. Let me see how well you can keep them. And if you could keep them, I will come back in a year and rescue you from Egypt. That's not what God is saying. God says, I brought you out of the house of slavery. I have rescued you. I am the Lord your God. You are my people, period. Now, this is how you live as my people. So Ten Commandments show us how to live as God's people, right? It's not, you know, a lot of, so, sometimes I think Christians, we even fall into this trap where we feel like we need to prove ourselves to God, that if we can live well, that God will then love us or rescue us or help us or deliver us. That's not the gospel. That's religion. The gospel says, no, God has brought you out of the land of slavery. You are free. Now go and live like my people. Uh, There was a man who was put in prison because of theft, and he was there for a couple of years. But during his time in prison, he heard the gospel, and he began to follow Jesus. And he had a new life. And so it was about time where he was going to be released, but he was afraid that, that, that he would go back to his old patterns of life. And so after getting released, he found a church. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church and worship. And so he quietly sat in the back of this church. And as he looked up, he saw the Ten Commandments written up in the front. And then one commandment like got him. Thou shalt not steal. He felt shame. He felt guilty, and he didn't know what to do with it. He's like, oh, man, what what is this? But as he sat there and heard the gospel again and experienced God's grace and love, he no longer heard it as a statement of condemnation, but he heard it as a promise, a declaration for 
to his new life. Not, not thou shalt not steal, but thou shalt not steal. You no longer are enslaved to sin, but you are a new creation, empowered by my spirit so that you can live this out. So that's what the Ten Commandments are. It guides us to know the character of God so that we can live as his people. Right, can I get an amen there? Is that, is that, does that make sense? All right. No, okay. number, point number two, what does the first two commandments tell us? Okay, so verse three, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this first commandment is foundational to all the other commandments. And when it says, when it says you shall have no other gods before me, God is not saying there are many gods and you need to put Yahweh the Lord first out of many gods. That's not what the first commandment is about. No, the first commandment is saying that the no other gods should be worshipped because in reality, there are no other gods but Yahweh. God the Lord, Yahweh is the only true God. And this is repeated throughout Scripture. Let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or, or on earth, in verse 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and are for whom all we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul is just echoing what the Old Testament had talked about. He said there was only one God, and, and, and the so-called gods that we talk about, they really don't exist. They, they have no power. When we looked at Genesis, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, how we talked about this was in this way. If we were to categorize, categorize everything in the universe, there would be only two categories. We have God on one category, the creator, right? Everything else is in another other category titled creation. Only God is self-sufficient. Only God is the true Lord, true God who created all things. And so Moses here says, or God says through Moses, you shall have no other gods before me because there is no other God. Only the Lord God is true God. And commandment number two. Uh, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below or that is in the water under the, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers and the children to third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So if the first commandment was about worshiping the right God, the second commandment is about worshiping Him the right way. Right? God says, I'm the only God. Now this is how you are to worship me. You cannot, don't set up any images or, or idols and worship it because it's only, they're only creations. They're, they're not true gods. Um, you know, when we read this passage, it says, Moses here tells us, God says, the reason why this is so, right? Verse 5, you shall not bow down 
to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, let's pause there. Uh, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? And when you initially hear that, that's, that's a bit odd, that God's a jealous God. Now, I don't think it means like how we think of jealousy, right? You know, we're jealousy of, jealous of someone because this person has something that we really want, right? You could, you could think of a lot of examples in the Bible. Uh, you know, King Saul became jealous of David because David became more popular. So his jealousy grew and became anger and hatred, and he wanted to, and he, 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 he uh, starts to attempt to murder David. I mean, that's jealousy that, that we, we think about, um, by the way, my wife and I recently saw a documentary on Netflix called Lover, Stalker, Killer. Right, I don't recommend that, but it was interesting. But that's how we think about jealousy, right? Oh, my gosh, here's a person who is overcome with jealousy because this person wants something that the other person has. That's not what God here is talking about because God, again, God's already said, there's no other God before me. There's no other God besides me. God's not jealous of other idols or other gods. doesn't make sense. So what is God saying here? I think the word that might describe this well is jealous, but also zealous. Like God is zealous over us. His jealous, jealousy towards us is, is from His like, love for us. He's zealous about us. In... Um, when Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. And when you read that context, Paul is saying, I so much want you to know the love of God, but you are constantly getting distracted with these other idols. But God wants so much for us to know Him. That's what it means here. Jealous, zealous. And here it says, he introduces himself in the Ten Commandments. We talked about, I am the Lord your God. That's a covenantal language, right? That means God comes in chapter, even in chapter 19, before the Ten Commandments, he comes and he says, I have carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You are now my treasured possession. I am your God and you are my people. He's entering into this covenantal relationship with the Israelites. And then he says, this is how you are to live. It's a covenantal language. He's saying, I am the Lord, your God. My name, he says, my name is Yahweh. I am your God and you will be my people. It's a covenantal language. And the best relationship that we have that represents this is marriage. We sometimes call it covenantal marriage, right? What is that? It's basically a relationship that's based on promise to one another. What's the promise? The promise says, I will be for you and be with you and love you whether things are going well or things are going poorly. I am committed to you. That's a covenantal, that's a covenant that you are entering into a relationship based on a promise. Now, can you imagine if your spouse or husband or wife brings someone else into the marriage? Like, like what, what would, how would you feel? No one in right mind would say, oh, great, I have another husband. Oh, great, I have another wife. Oh, great. No, what, what would happen? We would be upset, right? Like, there should be some anger that's rising out of jealousy or, or zealousness. 
That's what we see here, and that's why I think when you read this passage, God goes on to say, verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me by showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is just magnifying God's intense love for his people. This is who God is. And when you think about this, in the New Testament, his zealousness for you, his jealousy for you, his love for you is magnified, I think we could say, that much more. Because God says, I love you so much that I did not even spare my own son for you. Church, this is how much I am zealous about our relationship. So this is the second commandment. Uh, we are uh, God's people. The Lord is our God. And, uh, and he called us to not have an honor God before him. So number three, how do we apply this commandment? I just want to give you one thing as we enter into, into this Lent season. Let's think about and, and remove any idols or other gods in our lives. Uh, even though, sadly, in the Old Testament, even though God has said this repeatedly, I am the Lord your God, uh, you are my people, uh, we're in this covenant together, uh, God's people go astray uh, pretty often. And God would repeatedly uh, send prophets or leaders to call them back to himself. And it happens right after this generation, the book of Joshua. And it continues throughout the Old Testament, right? That God is always calling uh, his people back to himself, right? You are my people. I am your God. We're in this covenant together. They go astray. He brings them back. And that's the cycle. And I think sometimes we can look at, look at the Old Testament uh, God's people and kind of say, why? Why do you do this all the time? Why don't you learn your lesson? But the reality is, and all of us know this, and we talked about this already, none of us are perfect. This is us. Our hearts um, as we sang even earlier, our hearts prone to wander away from God. Um, we are tempted to have other gods before our Lord. Uh, biblical language is idolatry, right? We, we place other things before God. Um, and idolatry is just simply uh, something like you look at something or you desire something and you say to yourself, if I could only have that, my life will be set. If I could have this, then I'll feel significant. I'll feel secure. I'll feel loved. Whatever that is. So it could be things like, um, it could be good things, right? It could be a good career. It could be uh, uh, money. It could be family even. It, it could be good things, but anything that takes the center stage uh, becomes an idol, becomes a God that... Um, eventually will destroy us. I'll give you some examples. So let's say, uh, no, no one at, at GCCC, but let's say a mom places all of her hope uh, on her child. What happens? Initially, you would think, oh, she, might, she really loves him or really loves her. But what happens is, typically, what happens is you begin to over-parent, over-discipline. You become harsh and angry. Why? Because you need your son or your daughter to be perfect. Because that 
define, that, that child def- begins to define who you are. So you overparent or you underparent, you underdiscipline because you need that child to like you, to appreciate you, and you go back and forth. I mean, it could be our careers, right? It could be uh, someone who's working hard to advance in our careers. You want to have certain status, which is not wrong, but if it becomes the central thing in our life, usually what happens is your vertical relationship with your colleagues, you know, your bosses are will go wild because you're working so hard, but your horizontal relationships, your family life, your friends, they will begin to uh, become more uh, messy. Uh, That's what happens. And here's the message of the Bible, right? Nothing in this universe, because everything else is not God. God is only one who's sufficient enough and grand enough, big enough to, to fill the center of our being. Anything else you, you, anything else you build your life around, it will crumble. Whether that's your family, your career, money, whatever it is, it crumbles and you will not begin to uh, experience the life that God has for you. And that's what Ten Commandments is about. It's, it feels like from outside, it seems like they're just ten laws or ten rules. But what it's telling us is, as God's people, live this way so that you can begin to flourish as individuals and as a society. That's what the Ten Commandments are teaching us. So some of you might say, okay, how do I know if I have an idol in my life? How do I know if there's something else that's taking center stage in my life uh, in place of God? So here are maybe three ways we could think about it. One Um, There's an archbishop that said, um, your religion is what you do in your solitude. So what that means is, in other words, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to. What you habitually think about and get comfort and joy. So when nothing's going around, you're by yourself, what do you usually think about? That could be your, your idol because in that thought, you're finding comfort. You're finding joy. Another, another way is, this is really clear, more clear, is where you spend your money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Your money flows most effortlessly towards your heart's greatest desire. So where does your money naturally flow towards? That could be your idol, right? Your God. Another way to think it is, your most perhaps deepest emotions or maybe uncontrollable emotions. So when you get angry, you could think about, uh, is there something that's so important for me that I must have it at all costs? Like when do you get really angry? Or when when do you get really anxious or fearful that you feel threatened, that your heart sinks? Or is there something that you think that you must have and you feel like you're going to lose it? Those things could be signs where there's an idol in your life, that God, the Lord, is not at the center, but other things have taken it, your, the center of your, your life. So today, friends, we're going to enter into season of Lent, and I thought we could just spend some time in prayer. And so I'll have our worship team come up, and um, yeah, just let's, let's pause here and uh, as we think about the Lord. And again, Ten commandments are given to us because this is way for God's people to flourish. This is where God is at the center and we can begin to live a life.
not only to please Him, but it fulfills us. This is how we do it. And the first commandment is, Thou shalt not have, you, have any other God before me. That's the starting point, right? And so maybe we can, as we start uh, this Lent season, uh, we could just spend some time in prayer, and I'll lead us into some corporate prayer. We'll pray on our own. We'll intercede, and then we'll take communion. And so, yeah, if you would uh, just uh, have your eyes closed and allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to you. Is there something in your life that's taken the center stage of your heart that you've built your life around I don't know someone or something um, and if you lose it you feel like your life will crumble or, or you're spending so much energy and time and money so that you can build this up whatever it might be let's uh, hear from the Lord and so let's take a moment like 30 seconds just try to hear from God God's spirit and see if there, there's anything that God might say you know what this is something that I think you need to during this Lent season put down or put away or subtract from your life give us a moment to do that and then we'll uh, spend some more time uh, praying together spend some time praying together so we'll have the words up in the front we'll use Psalm 51 to uh, not only repent and confess um, personally individually but corporately together and so if you would uh, look up and I'll read the part that says leader and if you could respond by reading the part that says all so 
And let's read this together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. I want to give us another moment to just pray on your own, maybe with your own words. And, uh, you know, as I talked about how Ten Commandments uh, show us and pushes us towards Jesus. Uh, and so all of us, myself included, we all have idols that are just around in our life. And so let's just confess that before the Lord and, and with your own words, just ask for God's mercy and, and grace at this time. God promises forgiveness and new life in Christ. I take heart how John says it in his first letter to the church. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let's continue with the... The last portion of Psalm 51. Please uh, read this with me. We'll start with uh, your portion that says all. So that sinners will turn back to you. You deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. You open my lips, Lord.
time if you if you would uh, let's pray together and at this time you want to intercede for our families and those around us and even this region thinking about uh, idols that people live for maybe our families we live for particular kind of things or we think about this region dmv um, people who are who are pursuing power and achievement and try to build up their resumes and 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 uh, see their children achieve Let's, let's pray for this region that people will let go of their idols and really see a society that is flourishing because of, because of who God is. Uh, let's also pray for uh, those around us who might be um, just sick, only, not only physically but emotionally and spiritually. Let's pray that God would come and bring healing upon our friends and our family members. And so, yeah, if you would just take a moment to just pray for this region, pray for those around you uh, at this time. Let's pray together. God, we, uh, we, yeah, we, we confess uh, that all of us, we have idols in our hearts. And we want to, during this Lent season, we want to take off and put away uh, these things that, that get in the way of us truly living as your people. Uh, we also pray for this region where so many of us are pursuing idols of this society. But we, as your people, as you call us to not to have any other gods before you. So we want to be your people who worships you alone. And so, Lord, help us to be more aligned to what you have for us as we let go of these things and detach our hearts uh, from the idols of our society. At this time, I'm going to present communion to us. And again, this is a way for us to receive God's grace and God's kindness. Uh, the Ten Commandments reveal to us um, what we're lacking, but they, they push us towards Christ because in Jesus we receive grace and kindness and, and His love for us. And so uh, as we come to the table this morning, yeah, let's come knowing that Christ uh, forgives us and welcomes in. And that's why when at the end in verse 6, when when Moses or God talks about how he punishes sin for several generations, when you, when you think about that, he goes, right, goes on to say, but he loves those who are, uh, his love lasts 
thousands of generations. It's, it's just kind of saying God is, God is always there ready to embrace and forgive and love and bless and, and, and His people. And so let's come to the table with, with that kind of heart. Uh, let me present the elements to us, and whenever you're ready, uh, please come and take, take communion. The night that Jesus was betrayed, He took uh, bread, He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink from it for the forgiveness of your sins. <laughs> Let's stand. We'll sing, take communion, and if you want to receive prayer, pray with someone. We'll have some leaders up here uh, who love to pray with you uh, during this time.
together doing this series. Subtracting that are distracting us. Subtracting that entertain us. Subtract things that stir in us emotions that are not right. We take these things off and say, God, that you would take the center stage of our life. Thank you for your grace that, that always welcomes us back, no matter how far we drift. So, Lord, we want to enter into the season with hearts that are open before you, God. You are worthy. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks so much for coming today. Uh, have a great week.